Thank you so much. Okay. Well, <clears throat> here we are, and we're moving along, coming to the end of this study pretty soon. Um, tonight, um, I hope that you were, did you pick up one of the sheets as you came in? You should have seen one of these right here back on the table if you didn't. There should be some back there. And it looks like I might have a few more people in here than I normally do tonight, so I hope we didn't run out. Um, there are some sheets back there, and you can grab them. I need to hand out a few little Bible verses to look up here, Bible passages that I'm going to call on. So, Ryan, you're standing, therefore you get one. Okay, Mary, there you are. Pass one of these down there to, to Adam on the other end. He's got a good, strong voice. Chris, you look up that one. You look up this one right here. You look up this one. And you look up this one, and you look up that one, and let's see here, who else I got here? I've got Vic right there. You look up that one, all right? Okay, I didn't give anybody two, did I? All right, when I come to those verses, I'll call out for them, and you guys just get there and be ready to help us read them. Tonight, we're in step nine. And we are moving our way through. I only think we have a couple more steps in this series, and then we've got to discover what we're going to do then. But we'll, we'll certainly let you know ahead of time. I don't know when the other groups uh, that are studying this, uh, this early winter and spring, I don't know where they are in theirs, but ours is going to run out a little bit before theirs does. But we're in step nine, and we are, we're talking about dealing with the devil's lies. And uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the subject of, am I still saved? Uh, I get this question a lot. I mean, can I ever lose my salvation? Uh, my answer to say, when you put it in that phrase, can I lose my salvation? My answer would be yes, you can lose your salvation. Can you lose God's salvation when God saved you? And the answer to that is no. And uh, if you're saved, then God has, uh, he has performed something in your life that's irreversible. You have been born into God's family. You have been adopted. There's many things I could say about that, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. The security of the believer is the subject at hand tonight, and it's a precious subject. Uh, it appears here uh, in dealing with the subject that we're dealing with, talking about dealing with the devil's lies, because he is going to lie as much as he can to unbelievers and believers. He is going to lie to unbelievers who think they are saved, saying, don't worry, you prayed a prayer, you raised your hand, you took a dip in the baptistry, you're a nice person, you go to church, you do the best you can, and he's going to just give you every reason, even if the Holy Spirit's talking to you, he's going to give you every reason to think, I'm okay, I don't need to, I don't need to worry about anything, even, even when God's speaking to you at a sermon or in your Bible reading or when, something, when you hear somebody else's testimony. And then to the true believer, who really is a believer, uh, but he is sensitive to sin and the Holy Spirit, he's constantly going to be the accuser of the brethren, sending a demon to accuse you in your ear, and he's going to send, and then, of course, he himself before the throne of God in heaven, accusing you incessantly. And um, he says things like this to God, do you see what your children are doing? Do you see, how could they be real? These, they're all phonies. And they, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 that he is the accuser of the brethren who accuses us before the Father day and night. 
Now, that brings us to a little thought that I'll give you. I hear people say from time to time, I've been in a battle with the devil. Probably not. You, you probably have not been in the battle with the devil himself one-on-one. -on -one. And please don't ever get it in your mind that you and the devil can go, you know, duke it out one-on-one -on -one because even Michael, the archangel, did not bring railing accusation against the devil himself or Satan himself, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. In other words, he didn't have any authority over the devil himself. And so the devil is probably not running up down your road, coming up your driveway, sneaking into your house and accusing you on your shoulder. No, no, no. He's got, he's got demon spirits. He's got minions. He's got, you know, he's got the whole hierarchy of demonic fallen angels that are doing his bidding, those that are loose on the earth. And they are doing everything they can to, to shipwreck your faith, to discourage your heart. But where is the devil most of the time? He still has access to the throne of God. Why God allows this, I do not know. But in Revelation chapter 12, God says, enough. And the accuser of the brethren is going to be thrown out, I believe, at the midpoint of the tribulation. He's going to be thrown to earth. There's going to be a mock. I'm, I'm giving you prophecy now. Let me just, I'm going to say it in a capsulized form, and I'm not going to chase this rabbit very far except to say that he is going to be thrown out of heaven. He's going to be furious, the Bible says in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. He's going to be furious knowing that he has a short time. There's going to be the death of an Antichrist, or at least a seeming death of the Antichrist, and he's going to inhabit the Antichrist, and he's going to seem to have a mock resurrection, and he's going to wow the world because he had a deadly wound that was healed. Remember that? How many times have you read that? A deadly wound that's healed. He's going to take for the next three and a half years, he's going to unleash all manner of horror on planet earth trying to kill every Jew and everyone who is a believer in God. And so the devil is most probably not sitting on your shoulder. He is definitely accusing you nonstop. He's a liar, and he's a deceiver. He's a slanderer, and that's what he loves to do. The word Satan means slanderer. So, boy, whenever we practice slander against somebody, who are we being like? So we've got to be careful about that. Let's not slander one another. So Satan is always slandering, always accusing, always, always pointing out our failures. Now, of course, we do sin. And thank God for Second John, uh, for First John chapter 2, verse 2, that he is a propitiation for our sins. That if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father because Jesus Christ the righteous is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Not for our sin only, but also the sins of the whole world. So this is the subject. The devil would like to convince unbelievers that they're okay, and he would like to convince believers that they're lost. He would like to just keep working the opposite direction all the time. Let's look at the first part under the true and false section, and let's see what we come up with. My assurance of eternal life depends on my faithfulness to God. False. Believing that I cannot lose my salvation gives me a license to sin. 
That is false, absolutely false. There's a lot of people. That's what Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 21 through Romans 6, 4, which I've got somebody's going to read in a few minutes. That's what that's all about. You know, are we free to sin? I mean, we just sin to the limit? No, horrors, God forbid. How should we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? therein. So, no, and always remember this, that, you know, grace Grace is not a permission slip to sin or to live in sin or to do whatever we want to. No, grace is God's favor poured out on us even though we don't deserve it. But it is not a permission slip, and that is very, very important. The third one, there are many Christians who live in sin, but they never really understood the gospel. They were never saved. Now, let's emphasize, uh, if you just read that without paying attention, it could be true or false. But look at what it says. There are many, and here it is right here. There are many, look at me, there are many Christians. So what are they? They are professing, but are they truly Christians? No, uh, they're not. They, who, they live in sin. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 that if we're truly the seed or the Holy Spirit of God is truly in us, we cannot practice, live in, or have a lifestyle of unmitigated, unrepenting sin and still be the children of God. No, uh, whatever we practice, that's what we really are, and that's what the Bible teaches. So uh, that's, that, is, uh, that is certainly um, true that they really never knew the Lord. So you can read the section. Maybe you already did. I hope you've already done this. Um, there's the debate section. Uh, do you know someone who made a profession of faith, walked with the Lord, and then went astray? Is he still saved, or has he lost his salvation? That's the question. And then on a more personal note, do you sometimes in your own life wonder, is it real? So I want us to look down here to this part where it says, cheap gospel, now read that, and then we're going to read out loud this part that says living in fear and uncertainty. Both of these things are real situations, real scenarios, and it's very well written. Some, believing that they cannot lose their salvation, fall into a life of sin. Their attitude is, I've got my ticket to heaven, now I can do as I please. This shows one of two things. Either these quote-unquote believers never really understood the gospel and never really had eternal life, or they are ignorant of what the grace of God is all about. They have confused liberty in Christ with license to sin. That is a very profound and important statement. I wish you'd underline it on that page and just don't lose that. Uh, they have confused liberty in Christ with license to sin. The Apostle Paul warned against this attitude in Romans 6, 1 to 6, which we will read in a little while. And he says, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? And he says, by no means. Uh, one version of the Bible says horrors. Uh, <laughs> no, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So that constitutes a cheap gospel. Oh boy, this is wonderful. He's died for my sin and I'm, you know, I'm, my, my destiny is determined. I'm on my road to heaven. So why worry about anything? Just whatever feels good, do it. Whatever I want to do, just, yeah, man, just let live it up. Well, there is, there is that. I've, I've got too many stories that I could share with you about people coming in my office and saying they want to do the diametric opposite of what God's Word teaches regarding marriage or those kind of things. And they say, well, I just serve a God of grace. I don't know what God you serve. That's what they tell me. In other words, God's grace gives me permission to disobey. Well, is that true? No. 
Living in fear and uncertainty, that's the other side of the coin. Although some use the idea that they can lose their salvation as a motive for holy living, others go so far beyond that, go far beyond it. Some churches, churches manipulate believers by using fear. Believers in these churches are always trying to please their church and God by following a list of do's and don'ts. This system tramples grace by replacing it with human effort. In other words, while we are saved by grace, not works, they believe that in order to stay saved, we must meet certain requirements or works. The Christian life turns into an effort to continue, now look at this, to deserve salvation. Is it possible to run up a merit system where I deserve salvation? Can I do anything to deserve salvation, folks? No. Because it is all of grace. It's all of grace. I can't. And if I couldn't gain it by my behavior, I cannot preserve it by my behavior. So let's just stop and ask a question. Why should a Christian behave himself and walk in the Spirit? Why should a Christian do that? Somebody answer me. Okay, Sue? We love God. What did you say, uh, to show gratitude, okay. What else? What's that? Because we want to. We ought to want to. Yes, uh, back there. That's right. No. In other words, we can't continue in sin and without God's discipline. And and and. Is there joy in disobedience and walking away from the Lord for a believer? Can he live in joy? No, we can't. So we want to obey. And of course, there's many verses we're going to look at here. I gave out a bunch of sheets and I don't want to jump ahead. But it is very important, very, very crucial for us to understand we can never merit salvation in the first place. We can never maintain salvation by our deeds. However, sheep do follow the Lord. And those that are born again and are children of God, do develop certain character traits and they leave other things behind. Behold, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All right, so let's just move on from right there. First of all, I want to establish the fact that no-so salvation is what desires that God desires for us. No-so salvation. So I just don't know about that, whether we can really know that we're saved and have the confidence. I mean, I hope I'm saved. I've talked to people all my life, you know, what, what about your destiny? What about when you die? What's going to happen? Well, I hope I'm trusting and so on, things like that. But that's not what the Word of God says. Who's got 1 John 2, 24 and 25? Who's got that? Go with it. Read out loud. Okay, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, a verse I have memorized that I always remind myself of, and this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. Well, what kind of eternal life is it if it was eternal when he gave it to me, but it has an end or something can stop it? It's not 
true. What is the promise of God? The promise of God is eternal life, all right? 1 John 3, 1 to 3. Who's got that? Go with it, Dan. Okay, so that must be a new living. Is that the new living translation? Okay, uh, I want to read that again. I'm going to read it in a, a little bit older translation. Uh, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet appeared not appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is poor, just as he is pure. So when are we the children of God? When? When we're born again. So in the verse, it says, beloved, when? Now. Now we're, in other words, we have been born into the family of God, born into his family. And when you're born into the family of God, he doesn't, un, he doesn't reverse the process. You can't become unborn. He doesn't kick you out of the family. You may discipline you. He may straighten you out, but he doesn't kick you out of the family. First John 3, 1 to 3. All right. And then First John 5, 11 to 13. Vic. I mean, what, what does that verse say? Read that again. Read it real slow, good and loud. Verse 13, listen to this. So that you may, what's the word? Know that you have eternal life. Now in that passage of scripture from verse 11 to verse 13 is the great divide. Those who have the son those who do not have the Son, those who have life, those who do not have life. I mean, it's all the way through the Scripture. There's just two classes of people in the world, only two. Those that are born again, those that are yet to be born again. Those that are saved, those that are lost. Those that are God's children, those that are not God's. On and on and on we go. There's two groups of people on planet Earth. The group of people who know Jesus as their personal Savior have the opportunity and obligation to seek to 
evangelize and win and share the truth with those who do not yet know so that they can be born and they can pass John chapter 5, verse number 24, so they can pass from death to life. And it's just so incredibly wonderful. So I wanted to establish under that first stop sign that the Bible teaches that you can know that you have eternal life. It is not something that was supposed to fluctuate. One day we do, one day we don't. We're up, we're down. Sometimes I feel like it, sometimes I don't. Man, don't base it on that. Base it on what God has said. This is the record that God has given to us, eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Behold, now we are the children of God. And then 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things I have written unto you that we may know that we have eternal life. Martin Luther said it the best, feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Nothing else, else is worth believing. So why do I believe tonight that I have eternal life, that I'm forgiven, that I'm saved, redeemed, born again, ransomed? Why do I believe that? Because I'm basing it on God's word. I am persuaded that with that which I have committed to him, entrusted to him, he will keep until that day. He keeps it. I don't keep it. So we're answering this question, and we can know so. All right, under, on your sheet there, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm preaching instead of going through this lesson. Give me, give me, just uh, forgive me, all right? So let's go on. What does the Bible say under that section right there? Number one, are all those who claim to be Christians saved? No. Did I give Matthew 7, 21 to 23 to anybody? Did I give anybody that one? All right, I'm going to turn there real quick. You probably heard this many, many times, but it's one of the scariest passages of Scripture in all the Bible. It says, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, this is the Sermon on the Mount. I think the greatest sermon ever preached. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, we could go to John 6 and find out doing the will means to believe in the, believe in the one that the Father has sent. Verse two, 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. <laughs> it's not by people who make a profession. It's not by people. It's not, not people who claim to be serving and doing and doing spiritual things. It's according to what they have committed to Christ and what they have believed in and what they have trusted. Not many. So the question of number one is this. Are all those who claim to be Christians saved? And what's the answer to that? Absolutely not. Boy, that's a scary thing. Which of the following assures us that someone is truly a Christian? Did you read through all of those? Did you check anything? What did you check? Has repented of sin and believed on Christ, accepting him as his one and only sufficient Savior. And there's a lot of things that are on that thing that I've had people tell me. Well, I go to church, I read my Bible, I give. I, I was in a church one time, raised my hand when the preacher said to. Felt sorry, you know, I felt sorry many times for my sin. I've heard the speaking in tongues thing. I was baptized. My mama baptized me when I was six years old. Helps the poor, gain victory over, you know. And by the way, this is a big one right here. Gain victory over drugs and alcohol. That's a big one. 
I've had people equate salvation with deliverance from some addiction. Well, praise God for the deliverance from some addiction, but you can be as straight, <laughs> you can be as straight and walk a straight line and never take another sip and die and go to hell if you don't trust Jesus to be your Savior. And that, that is a big one right there. Teach a Sunday school class is a sincere person and so on. That, so that's, all right, let's look at number two. Under number two says the key question is, does my salvation depend upon my works or the finished work of Christ on the cross? What does it depend on? On the finished work of Christ on the cross. Number three, what is the only requirement for salvation? What is the only requirement? John 1, 12, John 3, 16, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. What does it say? Believe and receive, right? As many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, to as many as believe, receive, believe, believe in his name. John 3, 16, God's love of the world. That who's the, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, what? Believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For by grace you say through faith that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any mention boast. So the only requirement for salvation is believe. Now, let's delve into that number three, believe. What does that mean? Many believe with their heads but not with their hearts. How could you explain to someone what it means to receive or believe in Christ? Let's do that. That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to just take time and we're going to practice. You're going to get in your groups and we're going to practice the whole idea of helping somebody understand what does it mean to believe in, on, or into Christ? What does that mean? <clears throat> what does that include? So turn around your groups right there and discuss it. What does it mean? How would you explain it to somebody? What does it mean to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ?
Okay, so we got this conversation going on all over the room. I've jumped in on a couple of them, and, you, and there's all kinds of good conversations and everything, but I'm going to capitalize, zero in, drill down, because the Bible says this so many times. I mean, how many times does the Bible say things like this, Philippian jailer, you know, the, there's a jailhouse, jailhouse rocking in the middle of the night, and Paul and Silas have been singing about Jesus all night long, even though they've got stripes on their back and they're in chains, and something, these people are weird, something's the matter with these people, and then there comes this jailbreak situation where the, 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 there's an earthquake, the jail doors swing open, and the jailer says, that's it, they're going to kill me, I might as well kill myself, and he pulls a sword, and you know, Paul and Silas, hey, don't harm yourself, we're here, we didn't run away, please, don't hurt yourself. And he looks at them, stunned that they didn't take their chance to run for freedom. And he says, what? Sirs, come on, what does he say? What must I do to be saved? The answer was, on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and so will your house. It's hard to argue with that. Oh, it was a plain question, right? The question was, sirs, now did that mean that there was enough theology in that sentence for him to be saved, or had he been hearing a whole lot more than just that sentence? Of course, all night long, these guys, <laughs> they've been in there singing and talking and, I don't know, talking to the other people in there and this jailer's thinking, will they ever shut up in there? You know, I'm going to go back there and knock them out so I can get some sleep. And, and they've been talking about Jesus and singing his praises and all that kind of stuff and Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I want to drill down for a minute. We've got a few minutes. I want to drill down on the word believe and what does that mean? Because this is crucial. I mean, it's crucial what that word believe means. John 1, 12, as many as receive him to those who Believe in his name. It's very clear. He grants the power to be called the sons and daughters of God, children of God. Believe. John 3, 16, for whosoever will call upon, no, John, what was it, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, when the Pharisees came and they, <laughs> Paul said to them, he says, you, you guys don't count yourself worthy of eternal life. And Jesus said the same thing. You don't count yourself worthy because you just haven't believed that I came from the Father. You haven't believed. This belief thing, I mean, this is it. How many times does it have to say it in the Bible? You must believe. But what, the question is, what does believing mean? Let me see if I can't draw the scenario out. What am I... Uh, sisters back in the back back here said, well, there's a lot of easy believism going on out there. Yes, there is. There's a lot of easy believism and believe is very, very important. Now, I've got a second question there on number three. The answer is believe. And I say, what does that mean? Does it mean mentally accept a set of, set of facts or does it mean something else? I submit to you that it means more than mentally, intellectually accepting a set of historical data. If you ask somebody, you ask somebody that's gone to church their whole life or somebody that's even been in a Catholic church or been in any other, many other denominations, well, you know, do you believe in Jesus? That's what you have to do. You got to believe in Jesus in order to be saved. And what are they going to tell you if they grew up with it? What are they going to say? 
Well, of course they do. I mean, yeah, I believe in, why, why wouldn't I believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus. Now, nothing about their life reflects that they're a follower of Jesus, but they believe in Jesus, right? They believe in him. Well, what, is it when, what are they saying when they say they believe? What do most people mean when they say, I believe in Jesus? You try to share Christ with them and you share the gospel and you're talking about Jesus and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Well, I, I, I believe in Jesus. Of course I do. And, 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 and so we talk about Jesus. Well, he was a guy that lived 2,000 years ago. They say he had a miraculous birth. You know, his mother's name was Mary. Say that she was never married or that she wasn't married and hadn't had any relations with anybody. And she was a virgin and had the baby. That's the story. And I believe that he was a historical character. He lived in Palestine around 2,000 years ago. And there's all kinds of information around him that he, you know, that he lived great, a great life. He taught wonderful things and he helped many people. And they said he did miracles and, and all of that. And everything, you know, I don't have any problem with that. I don't reject any of those things. And even that he died and rose again, I wasn't there. They say he rose again. They say there's an empty tomb. I'm going real fast. They, you know, I mean, but I, do you believe in Jesus? And they say, well, yeah. Okay, Chris has got it right. In other words, to believe, to believe with intellectual understanding of the facts is not what the Bible is talking about. To believe. Everybody walked in this room tonight and um, you had a general understanding that these units that are all over the room were designed, prepared, built, glued together, screwed together, and nailed to the floor for the purpose of holding up your weight as you sit on them. And I have a question. How many of you believe, how many of you believe that these pews will hold you up? How many of you believe that? How many of you have demonstrated that you believe that these pews will hold, hold you up? Why? Because what did you do? All right. Listen to me. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you will believe in your that God has raised him from the dead, you will be, what's the word? He says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm gonna stop there. I preached this a few years ago. It's time to hammer this nail down again. Confess with your mouth. What does that mean? He is Lord. And when you say he's Lord, you're talking about the deity of Jesus. You confess with your mouth that he, and the whole subject is Jesus, he is Lord. He is God. He came in human flesh. I believe it. I rest on it. I'm confident in it. This is what I believe. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I will be saved. For with the heart, so on and so forth. The mouth confession is made with the heart. We believe into eternal life. Now, here's the thing. It says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord. Who are they calling on? We're calling on the name of the Lord God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Jehovah who came to earth. We're calling on his name in faith, believing with my heart. Now, you say, what does it mean to believe? I thought, let me give you this. Your mind, your brain, and your intellect is the is the is the capacity that we have to process data and information. Are you with me? 
Everybody's got a brain. How many of you got a brain? Well, it's questionable in some cases. Well, anyway, but everybody's got a brain, right? So we've got a brain. So with our brain, we process, think about, dwell on, perhaps meditate. We think about the information that comes to us. But there are many, 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 many people on the planet who have all the information, but they do not have salvation. Why? Because with your heart, let's go down to the Peruvian restaurant on Ingersoll. And uh, it's called Panca, and I love it. Bonnie and I have been down there. It's, it's authentic. If anybody wants to know what Peruvian food tastes like, go down there and eat it. But anyway. So I, I could say there's a Peruvian restaurant down there on Ingersoll, uh, and it's uh, called Panca, and they have wonderful Peruvian food. And, uh, and I could describe everything about it. I could name every plate they have. I could tell you all the details, how they made it. I could tell you what condiments they put in it. I could talk about it. I could take you down there and let you smell it, look at it. You could experience the, experience the aura of the room, the, the, the paintings and the music. And I mean, you could just sit in that room and you could just be there and, and just look at all that stuff. And you could say, boy, I, you know, I believe that really is some good food. I think that stuff smells good, looks good. It's kind of like Hebrews chapter six. I, I mean, I'm experiencing this. I think it's really good and it's just wonderful and, and all that kind of stuff. But when is it that you really prove that you believe that it's good to eat? When is it? When you eat it. I believe this bench will hold me up. Now I really believe this bench will hold me up. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ means this. It means I've taken all the information in and in my heart I want. This is what I want. I desire. I want. I, I need. I crave. I, I want Jesus to save me. And I'm calling out in total dependence, understanding I can't fix it, I can't change me, I can't save me, I can't perform my way, I can't be good, give an offering, tithe, I, I can't do anything that pleases God other than recognize that he paid for my sin. And I believe he did. And I want him. I, in my heart, the part of me that is me, and makes all the decisions. You could fill my head with all kinds of information about something, but that doesn't make me want it. But when we get the information and we hear the truth and we know that we're condemned without Jesus, we know that we're headed to hell, we know that we have sinned, we know that we've offended God, a three times holy God, we have sinned. And when we want this forgiveness and we want this relationship, and we want him to be our savior. And we, when, now then, we call because we believe. Do you understand the difference? There's mental grasp, and there's inner, personal, volitional desire. I want this, what Jesus is offering to me. So with the heart, that's what the Bible's talking about when it talks about the heart. With the heart, we truly believe. Thick. Does the heart believe initiate from God? You're getting into you're getting into the regeneration and the call of God. Yeah. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that, yes, God is the initiator of salvation, and he flips the switch in our life to even make us turn it on and understand it in the first place. And he is the regenerator, but we're responsible to respond. 
It is our responsible, it is the responsibility of every believer to respond to the truth and the light that God gives us and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nobody is going to hell because God designed them to go to hell. If they die and go to hell, it's be because they didn't, they didn't accept what light they had and received more light until the time they received Jesus and understood the whole gospel and received it. Now, back here to my sister who was talking about easy believism. What I just showed you and talked to you about is rooted in something that comes before that. And that is we have to, nobody ever gets saved until they're lost. Nobody ever comes to Jesus until they know they need to. It is impossible, impossible to be saved without understanding that we need to be saved. And that there's something that is keeping us from God. That's why we preach the law of God, the truth of God, the curse of sin. And I'm going to get to this in just a minute. So that a person even has the concept of lostness. Because until we know we need to be saved, we can't call out to be saved. Because I said it a few weeks ago or two weeks ago in the sermon. When I was talking about Paul's testimony. He said... This is a great truth. You know, he, what, how do you say uh, this is worthy of all acceptance? Jesus Christ came in the world to save who? Sinners. Only sinners. So until we know we're sinners and how grievous that sin is to God, nobody can be saved. Nobody. No matter how much we, you know, think lofty thoughts about Jesus and heaven and everything, until we know we're not going, we can't go. Until we know we're lost, we can't be saved. Until we understand we're sinners, we have nothing to, to confess. So it is just, it's crucial. So we preach the whole gospel. Yes. I just want to know what chapter you said, Romans 10, what verse? A while ago, that was 10, 9, and 10. Those are like like anchors of understanding in the Scripture. Guys, I didn't mean to hammer on that one so long, but I've I've been in the ministry so long, and I've talked to so many people, and I've had so many people, oh, yeah, sure, I've gone to church my whole life. Yeah, Jesus, I believe in Him. Who doesn't believe in Jesus, you know? I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm great. No. You're not good. You're not great because you don't understand what it means to trust, believe in Jesus. So let me go on. I'm sorry. Oh, I, th- I thought somebody asked a question over there. Here we go. Uh, on page 23, look at the inner margin at the top and let's talk about it out loud together. On page 23 at the top, what do you think about the following? Someone said, I've been in churches that believe you cannot lose your salvation and others that believe you can. I feel doubly blessed. If it cannot, if, if I cannot be lost, I have the security of heaven. If it can be, no, if it cannot be lost, I have the security of heaven. If it can be lost, this motivates me to live in holiness. What do you think about that? It's not real biblical. It's not really biblical at all. Um, it says, I feel doubly blessed. If it cannot be lost, I have the security of heaven. If it can be lost, well, that's the whole point. It can't be. If it's, it's, it's the salvation of God and being born into God's family, it can never, ever, ever be lost. Um, John 5, 24. I want to give everybody a, a, a memory verse. I don't know if that was the one they had on. Yes, it is. <clears throat> it says there on page 23 on the inner margin at the bottom, memorize John 5, 24. I think every believer ought to memorize that verse. As soon as, soon as you memorize John three sixteen. the next one you memorize ought to be John 5, 24. 
John 5, 24. That verse right there says, it says, uh, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. So judgment is pending on everyone. Judgment is pending on everyone until we understand the word of God, the condemnation of sin, and we believe in Jesus who God sent. He gives us everlasting life, and then we will never come into condemnation. Oh, I just hope everybody will memorize John 5, 24. It's a fabulous, fabulous verse. Number five on your sheet. You've got to hurry here. We've got to wrap it up. Number five on your sheet, according to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, each believer has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. This guarantees that we are marked as God's eternal possession. When are we sealed? Somebody got it? What is it? When we believe? All right. What is the process? Take, go to your Bible. Everybody's got to look at this one up. Go to this one. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. You're just never going to see a more beautiful passage on the process. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse number 13. It's fantastic. From verse number 3 all the way down to verse number 12, we're talking about God's special chosen people, the Jews, and how blessed they are. They got it first. But then, verse 13, Paul turns and he faces the Gentiles and he says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Look at the process. In him you, speaking to these Ephesians, in him you also believed. But what did they do before they believed? Heard. Faith comes by and hearing by the word of God. So, in him, after listening or hearing to the hearing the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed. So hear, and in the hearing, in the hearing, there's the comprehension, right? You hear and understand the gospel. Jesus died. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. That's the gospel. He rose again on the third day, ascended into the presence of the Father. That's the gospel. So understanding that our sin sent Jesus to the cross, we hear that message. After we hear it, we believed. After we believed, what happens? Sealed. By whom? Okay, let me give you a little something. I don't have time to finish this lesson. I'm terrible. I want to give you a little something. What is it, Ryan, about you that God cannot reject? Himself. And? The Holy Spirit. Chris, is there anything in your flesh that's good? What does the Bible say about that? In my flesh dwelleth how many good things? None. But who comes to take up residence in our body? We were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise of our inheritance one day. So the thing about me that God can never reject is himself. The Holy Spirit of God that lives. You know why I know I'm saved? 
Because Romans chapter 8, verse 14 and 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with my spirit that, we are, that I am the Son of God, the child of God. The Holy Spirit came into me. How many of you, when you said, when you really meant it, and you said yes to Jesus, and you called on him in true belief like I talked about a while ago, how many of you noticed something different in your life and that there was a new voice? Who is that? Did your conscience get more strong after that? Did the conscience get reinforced? That's the Holy Spirit. You say, well, but I still sin. Do you feel good about it when you sin? No. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is there. And the Holy, boy, you know, if you go without ever being corrected or convicted, you better check yourself out. But if you do get corrected and convicted, then thank God the Holy Spirit's at work and the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. When God looks at you, he's not trying to figure out how many sins you've committed and decided whether you weigh up good or not. He's looking to see, is he sealed? Does he have the seal of the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit in there? <laughs> and that is the reason. Ah, we can't even do it. First John chapter Three, after we read those first three verses, it talks about that, that, that anyone who has the seed, the Holy Spirit of God in them, cannot sin perpetually and as a way of life because the seed remains in him. He will never leave. The Holy Spirit of God moves in us and he never moves out. He moves in and he never moves out. And when it comes time for the trumpet to blow in the rapture one day or whatever, if we die first, God looks down on us and he doesn't go back and recalculate and say, well, let's measure up his sins. No, no, no. That's not what he does. He looks down and see, well, he must have believed on Jesus because there's the Holy Spirit living in him. How many of you are glad that the Bible is a, it's pretty clear on this stuff? It's clear. The Holy Spirit of God is your greatest guarantee of your salvation. And his activity, spiritual voice in your life will assure your heart more than anything I can ever say, more than, any, more than anything else. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Well, that's enough. There's more to the lesson. You worked it out. We'll go to step 10 next week. There's a lot more. I didn't even have you even read all the verses tonight, but I got hammering on that. What does it mean to believe? And guys, that is really important to know what does it mean to believe? Uh, and, and so I had, to, I had to spend some time on that. I am saved tonight because God saved me and what, God, what work God does, nobody can undo. And I just thank God for that. Not me, not the devil, not anyone else. Let's give God the glory and pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for these friends. Help us to just nail this down in our life, Lord. Doubts come. We wish they didn't. The devil lies. He sits on our shoulder. Our emotions go up and down. Circumstances change. People change. We, we lose passion from time to time. But God, I pray that we could always drill down on the truth. And that is, what do I believe? And to whom have I trusted everything? And who is my Savior? I just like Paul like to say, I just thank God I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, everybody. I'm glad to be saved. I don't know about you.